0: Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that God will meet you in this time with a fresh revelation of His love for you and that you will be challenged to align with the amazing plans that God has waiting for you. Here's this week's message from Pastor Chris. Welcome here and those of you who are tuned in online, we want to welcome you here as well. And I'm going to invite us to stand and I'm going to, we'll present ourselves before the Lord and I would just like to pray... Uh, over his word this morning. Father God, we just want to pray and just invite you here, Lord. We know that you have a word for us today and it's a word straight from your heart, God. We know you have a word from us from you by the power of your spirit going beyond what I'm saying. We know that you've got a word for each of us here today. You, you see us. You know where each of us are at. You know what's going on in our lives and Lord, we just are excited for you. Lord God, we just submit ourselves to you, and we just humble ourselves, Lord, just excited for what you're going to do this morning. Amen. Well, you can grab a seat. Well, today we are talking about one of the attributes of God, and that's the sovereignty of God. We're talking about God's sovereignty, and you know, this is a topic that if we will let this If we'll get a revelation of this, it will change our hearts. It'll change how we live. And that's our goal this morning. Our goal in this message is to get a revelation of the sovereignty of God because that revelation will change my life. That'll change our lives. So that's our goal here. Um, You know, when it comes to questions like these that I'm about to mention, we have lots of, you know, variety in, in our opinions as Christians. When it comes to questions like, you know, who rules over The world right now, does God rule over right now before Jesus comes back, or does He give, does He give the enemy some authority? Like how does that all work? And this, this, these questions are super important when it comes to understanding God's sovereignty. Um, What about governments? Like, is the government that God puts there? I know He puts them there. Is the government in charge? Does He lend them that, or is He in charge over the government? How does that look? These are all very important. Or what about this? Does God cause evil? Does God cause things like bad weather, right? Things like sickness, or does he allow those things? How does that all look? Well, we're going to talk about that. And like I said, the reason we're talking about this is just to understand, first of all, what is God's sovereignty, but we want to get a revelation of how that impacts my life. So we are, that's the heart of what we're going over today is actually how God's sovereignty impacts me. But first of all, let's just read, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Um, Hebrews chapter one, we're going to read verse three and it says this, Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's Jesus. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So when we're talking about the sovereignty of God, the Bible has lots to say about it. There actually is only 10 verses that use that word, okay? Uh, In the Old and the New Testament, it's about half and half. And every verse where it uses that word, it actually just means the same thing. It just means king or it means kingdom. So sovereignty means king or kingdom. And I know... When we're talking about this topic, I know that there's this question that some people bring to the conversation about like um, predestination or or you know does God predetermine our actions or our choice for salvation? I understand that that's part of the conversation. It's not the focus of my of our message this morning. What we're saying here today is that the overwhelming focus that God has, that the Word of God has on the sovereignty of God, is that He rules, is that He's King. Okay, so according to the Bible, sovereignty equals king. So what does God rule over? Let's look at that question. Where does he rule right now? Because we know that he rules in heaven right now. We know that in heaven, whatever he says goes. And we know that when he comes back, he will rule here on the earth. Jesus is gonna set up a government. We know that. But what is he, where does he rule exactly then on the earth now? And what does that look like before Jesus comes back? And If we think of these words, you've maybe heard these words if you've taken the partnership class, is, is God a figurehead ruler, or is he a functional ruler? If you've taken the partnership class, you've heard those words. Think of the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II. She's a figurehead ruler over Canada right now. She's not functioning, ruling here on site. So is that what God is like? Is Is that what God is like right now in terms of how he rules over the earth? And the Bible has lots to say about this. We'll look at Daniel chapter 4, 34 to 35. It says this, And he, God, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. So the Bible's clear, and there's, there would be about 90 verses if we, you know, whatever, if you looked at all of them that talk about how God's in control. This is just one, but I think it's an awesome one. The truth is, God is always and will never stop ruling as king here on this earth right now. That's the truth. Psalm 145, 13, David said this, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So God rules as king here on the earth. But how much of the earth does he rule over? Because we're still left with this question of evil and sin, right? And sickness, we're still left with the reality of those things. So how much is God ruling over in all of that right now on the earth? Well, we read in Hebrews 1 verse 3, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's what we read. So that's, that is a really, really strong statement. And it has huge implications. What does that actually mean when we stop and, and meditate on that? It, it actually means that the same powerful word that God used and Jesus alongside God in creation in the book of Genesis, the same power of his word that created, it also now sustains the world. The same power coming out of Jesus' word sustains the world. And that means many things. It means that the world keeps turning today because Jesus says that it gets to keep turning. It means that the next beat of my heart that I get to do, the next breath that I get to breathe is because Jesus says I get to breathe that breath. Because isn't it true in the word? It says, He's got my days numbered. He knows when my last breath is going to be. Isn't that true? And it means the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning because Jesus says that it's going to rise. That's what the Bible's saying. And it's easy to, to, to say, okay, well, that sounds a little extreme, like maybe over spiritualizing a little bit. Like, aren't there natural laws? And yes, we know there's natural laws. And what we can do as believers is we can stop and say, okay, well, who created those natural laws? This is how we view it as believers. Well, who created the natural laws? God did. And as we just read, God sustains the natural laws. He sustains everything. He keeps it going by the word of his power. And how about this? Whenever God wants to, whenever he pleases, he works outside of the laws of nature and he does supernatural things. Supernatural healings of our body. He works outside of of nature whenever he pleases. That's the sovereignty of God. Isn't that awesome? Don't we have such a good God, church? And... It, the Hebrews 1, verse 3, upholding the world, it, this isn't just like one, one nice idea in one verse. Well, it's, it's kind of a nice idea. It's all over scripture. Colossians 1, 16 to 17, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things and in him, all things hold together. So when you're with your kids, right, and you're singing, he's got the whole world in his hands, all things hold together through Jesus. And Nehemiah 9, verse 6, you are the Lord, you alone, God, you've made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. And the host of heaven worships you. So God rules over everything on the earth. So when we're talking about the sovereignty of God, there's... I will put up on the screen here just some short notes. Like what is, if you were to sum it up, I know some of us like a definition. What is he ruling over on the earth? And, I, and I, I pray, I pray that we get a revelation of this in our heart. How closely he's with us and how closely he's ruling. God is continually involved in the world, keeping things existing. So that's what we said, preserving the world. Keeping things existing. Working with his creation by causing them to act while allowing free will for choices. And thirdly, directing creation to fulfill his purposes. This is the sovereignty of God. This is our awesome God. And to get this revelation, um, we're going to just really personalize it. We're going to talk just about five things in our lives, in the world here that he's sovereign over. Just so we can really personalize it. And where we're going with our message today, obviously, is how does this change my life? And I'm so excited about that part. We're going to talk about how it changes how we obey, how it changes how we reach the lost, and how it changes how we endure. We're going to talk about that. But first of all, just briefly, what are five things that that God is sovereign over on the earth? So number one, he decides who leaders will be, and he rules over them. Many of us know the first part. He decides who leaders will be. Many of us have heard Romans 13. There's no authority except which God has established. And Daniel 2, God sets up kings and he disposes them. So this idea, right? He chooses who gets to be in leadership. It's more the second part of what we're talking about that's, that's a bit harder to understand. It's a bit more murky. That God rules over leaders and governments. Because is it that he just puts them in place and then he just... Gives them free will, right? And lets them do what he, they will. let them choose in free will. And then later he'll come in and clean up the mess. Is that what it is? Or does God rule over them while they're in charge? Well, let's look at Proverbs 21 verse 1. Start to get a picture of what the Bible says. It says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. So we start to get a picture, according to the Bible, God God's in charge of leaders. He's in charge of rulers. So when we, when we say he rules over the universe, he rules over the universe. And this is all over scripture. Think of Pharaoh in the, the story of Exodus. Pharaoh obviously had an option to harden or to soften his heart. But it says in Exodus, about seven or eight times, God said, I will harden his heart. I will harden his heart. So there's this balance of the free will to choose. He doesn't take away their authority to choose leaders and for us as people. He doesn't take it away but he stays sovereign over it all. And in Psalm 2, you know, I think of Psalm 2, the nations rage and kings set themselves up and we're like, oh, okay. But then what does it say? The Lord sits enthroned in heaven and he laughs. And it's like, oh, the sovereignty of God. He's in charge. Let's go to the next thing. Um, God restrains evil, and he governs over Satan. In his sovereignty, he restrains evil, and he governs over Satan. Evil is born from sin. It originates from sin, and that's where it was birthed. And the Bible is so, so clear. It's people and demons that do evil. Jesus and God never do evil. And I know when we're talking about, okay, though, He reigns over the world, so then how does that work? Like, does he allow evil then? Uh, I think of things like the flood. I think of things like the judgment events the Bible talks about to come in the the end times. Those sound like God isn't just setting back and allowing it. It sounds almost like he's initiating it. So how does that all work? Okay, and we're not getting into all the dynamics. There's a bigger conversation there. But to say this, I think this is a really, really balanced way to look at it. We need to know these things. They're foundational. The Bible nowhere shows God as directly... Sorry, I keep pointing up because I think they're on the screen. Okay. The Bible nowhere shows God as directly doing anything evil. Never directly doing anything evil. Scripture never blames God for evil. And Scripture never shows us God as taking pleasure in evil. So, does he allow it? Yeah, he, he allows it. And the reason he allows it that we can understand, we're invited to understand is because... He, in his mercy, he's giving more time for the world to repent. Isn't that true? He gives free will, and he's giving time for, for the lost world to repent. In God's sovereignty, he may cause calamity. Bible Bible goes far to make that clear to us. He will cause calamity, but he will never, ever cause evil. Just to repeat that. And in everything he does, if there's ever calamity that God causes, I'm thinking of the flood in the Old Testament, it's always for Good. It's always for his glory, and ultimately it's for our good. Always. Romans 8, 28 says, God turns all things for good. And I love this verse in Genesis 50, verse 20, that talks about how God will sometimes allow evil. Joseph was sold by his brothers. They tried to kill him in a well first, and then they sold him into slavery. And years later, when they finally came back around, Joseph said this to his brothers. He said, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. So it was the people who acted evil, but God had a sovereign hand over it. And I know we're talking about kind of small details here, but to get this picture that God's involved in our life and he rules, because if he rules, then my God that walks with me during the sh- in the valley of the shadow of death, he rules and he's in charge. And that changes my life. We got to know though that God is restraining so much evil and so much wickedness in the world. Like when we get to eternity someday and we can see this clearly, we our jaws will drop when we see how much evil, how much wickedness that he is restraining around us, restraining in the world. And we will get that, we'll, that picture and we'll see it clearly. And, but the Bible talks about it in Job chapters one and two. There's this story that where Job um, is being talked about by God as the most blameless person in the world. And the enemy comes, enemy comes before God and he says, Let me touch Job's belongings, his possessions, let me touch his body, let me end his life, and you'll see God. He's not going to worship you the same way. He won't worship you. And Satan has to ask God's permission and authority for what he can touch. And God says to him in Job, Chapter one, verse 12, behold, all that he has is in your hand. You can touch his possessions, but against him, do not stretch out your hand. We we can get this reality. We're invited to get this reality. Satan is like a dog on a leash before God. From beginning of scripture to end of scripture, from beginning of time to end of time, God governs over him. We can get this, this reality. He's, how many know that he was not allowed to touch anything in Job's life that God did not permit? Isn't that true? He wasn't allowed to touch it. This is sovereignty of God. And I'm glad about that. I hope you guys are too. Let's go to the next point, and I promise I didn't plan this when I were looking at the forecast. God controls the weather, and He controls the natural laws. In "When it rains," the Bible says, "When it rains, God sent the rain. When it snows, hail. The Bible says, I love it. God gives it to us here in the word. God sends it. He controls the wind. He controls the clouds. And it goes on and on because we could do a whole message on how God controls the weather. It's, the Bible says God makes the grass grow. Excited for grass, guys? Yes. God makes the grass grow. Bible says God sends drought, and Job 37 is the clearest chapter that goes over all the details about how God controls the weather. In verse 13, it says why God brings weather for correction sometimes, or for his land, meaning the land we live in, or for love, he causes it to happen. He causes weather to happen. God also controls the weather. He's sovereign over it because he wants to teach us to pray. We could talk about how Elijah prayed and it didn't rain. He also wants us to be dependent on him. In the word it says, if my people who are called by my name will pray, if they'll humble themselves and turn from wickedness, what does it say? I'll heal their land, right? So the weather teaches us to be dependent on God and to pray. We'll go to the next one. God feeds and cares for the animals. There are billions of sparrows in the world. If you've ever looked up the population, if you look it up, I looked it up, there's billions. There's so many sparrows. We've seen sparrows here in Manitoba in the last few weeks. And I love Matthew 10 because the Word says that not one sparrow of the billions out there, not one can fall to the ground unless God says this is the day it's going to fall to the ground. Not one. That's the sovereignty of God. He's in control. And in Matthew 6, Jesus said, God feeds the sparrows. God's the one who feeds them. And when I think about that, I think, okay, well, Jesus is God. He knows how this works. And he's saying that God feeds the sparrows. So that means that he's... God not only gives them their day-to-day food that they find, but he's also written into every animal when he created it. He's written in the strategy about how they're going to find food. Some of them are foraging. Some of them are hunting. He's written it into their, I don't know, is it in their DNA or their brain? I don't know how that works. Um, But let's look at one example, okay? Peregrine falcon. If you've heard of the peregrine falcon, this is a bird of prey. Uh, We have a picture. We'll put it up on the screen. There it is. The peregrine falcon, it's not the biggest of the bird of prey, but it's got a strategy for how to, to get food. This is the, its strategy for getting food. This bird can see a mouse in a field. So remember how small mice are. They're not massive, right? They're small. This bird can see a mouse in a field three kilometers away. It's part of its strategy to get food. That's not even like a stra- That's like a superpower. Like three kilometers away. I looked this up this week. That's like from where we're sitting right now to the middle of Schonsenfeld. Or if you go the direction of Morden, I don't know which way that is. That's, that's like past boundary trails exactly halfway to Morden. This bird can see a mouse in the field. That's cool. God's made some cool things. And you know what this bird does? It flies up in the air really high and it does what science is called diving. So it dives, okay? That's the picture over here. It dives at up to 390 kilometers an hour. And I don't know know how but you drive, but that's four times faster than, as four times as fast as I drive my car. So it dives at those speeds towards its animals and God has given it a second set of, Eyelids that are underneath its eyelids, and they're clear like glasses. So when it's diving, these eyelids come down, and if there's bugs in, in the sky, if there's debris in the sky, it won't hit this bird's eyes as it's going a measly slow 390 kilometers an hour towards its lunch. And there can be full-grown ducks that this thing is hunting, just flying through the sky, and this thing will come down at that, those speeds, and it'll, it'll just at the very last minute stick out its feet and hit them straight to the ground. And when those birds hit the ground, then it'll just keep flying and it'll circle back around and it'll just check. Was it a fatal blow? Did the thing die? And if it did, well, there's my lunch. This is the sovereignty of God. He's written into every animal a strategy how to find food. And he cares for the the animals. Cares and feeds them. That poor duck, right? Poor duck. Okay, well, let's go on to Um, let's go on to the last, last thing that he's sovereign over in our, in our world here. Our last point for today is that he's sovereign over our lives from beginning to end. And we'll just say a few things on this. He decides where and when we're going to be born, decides what family we're going to be born into, decides what culture we're going to be born into, the sovereignty of God. And he made us with our own personality, made us with our own potential about how far we can reach. He decides all of that. And as we move forward, as we live in our calling, God implants, think of this, He implants, I don't know if implants is the right word, He gives us desires. He plants dreams and visions and ideas into our heads. He's sovereignly involved in the intricate details. He also, like feeding the sparrows and all the animals, He he takes care of our needs as well. It's not just taking care of us from afar. He's intricately involved. Acts 17, 28, In him we live and move and have our being. And Philippians 2, For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we got a balance of the free will that he's given us, and he's sovereignly involved in our lives, actively working in our lives. We definitely have free will to make choices, and those choices have consequences, even eternal consequences, right? Right? So let's just go over, what have we said so far? We've said, God, sovereignty equals king. Remember that? Sovereignty equals king. God rules over not just heaven, he rules over earth. And we said that he rules over everything on earth. And he always will. There's an obscure passage in Luke where Satan says, because this is, you know, could be a comment that you get back. Isn't there that passage where Satan said, you know, Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you authority over everything because it's mine to give. There's an obscure passage. And we're not going into all of this, right? But just to say, first of all, Satan is the author of lies. So we never build a theology over anything Satan says. We never build a theology over what he said there to Jesus when he tempted him. We don't build a theology over when he said to Adam and Eve in the garden, you will never die, surely you'll never die because he's lying, right? So we, so, and that verse goes totally against everything in scripture that says that God is sovereign over everything. So it's so good just to get a revelation of, of God's sovereignty. We just finished singing, God, you've captured my heart, every beat of my heart. And it's cool because what we're doing right now is we're looking at how his word shows us that that is the truth. Every time I, my heart beats every beat of my heart, he's saying to me, Chris, I love you. Chris, I'm pulling you closer. Every beat of my heart. And we just finished singing about, it's God's breath in my lungs that I breathe. And now we get to, to marvel at the sovereignty of God and get a revelation because in scripture, that's what it says. My next breath is because God gives it to me. Isn't it awesome? Guys, is it good to be in awe of our God? Is it good to be in awe of God? And I, I was, as I was thinking again and doing my devotions this morning, I was thinking, sad that we have a world that just doesn't know God. Makes me sad that we have a world that doesn't know God and, and actually in their heart could ask a question, how can a good God allow evil when the word says that evil's only ever actually done by us? Evil's only ever done by us and we're invited to understand, we're invited to get the revelation of scripture that, that, that says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So that means Jesus is upholding my entire body, and at the same time, he laid down his entire body for me. So we have this treasure. We've got this revelation that he's love. He loves us. That's love. Isn't that love? He uphold me and lay down his own body. That's love. Thank you, Jesus. Can we thank him? Can we give Jesus a praise, a clap of praise right now? Can we thank him? You're a good Jesus. Jesus, you are good. Okay, let's, let's like get to the real meat and potatoes here of how does this change my life? There's obviously so many things we could talk about how the sovereignty of God changes how I pray, how it changes how I love others, how I celebrate all the good gifts he's given. But I, I love these topics. I felt the Lord was really honing in on these topics. And I love these topics. First of all, it changes how I obey. Claude, in his great message on Easter Sunday, he said, when it comes to obedience, to obeying God, he said, there's a crowd around Jesus in the Bible, but the disciples are the ones that come out of the crowd. And we want to come out of the crowd and say, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. And Claude said, but Jesus is in charge, so when I'm a disciple, what he says goes. And I love that. I love obedience. How many of us know How many of us know Jesus' commands are essential, they're not optional? They're essential. Can you say essential, not optional? Jesus' commands, and they're good. I love that the word says, his burden is light, but his commands are essential. His instructions for me are essential. Why? Because he's the king. He's sovereign. There's a verse in Luke 1 where... The angel came to Mary, Jesus' mother, and the angel said, spoke to Mary about her future, spoke to Mary about what God's calling was, and basically saying that she's going to become pregnant without being married, basically saying, you know, your reputation is going to be crucified. Your relationships are going to be crucified. And this is how Mary responded to the angel out of obedience to God. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, yes. Simple obedience. I love that. And I love that just one generation later, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said these words in Matthew 26, my father, if this cannot pass from me, your will be done. Simple obedience. I love that. And I think it's so cool that mother obeyed and son obeyed. And we know Jesus is God, right? He didn't need the, a legacy of obedience from his mother, in order to obey, he's God. We know that, but I love, I just think it's so cool that they both obeyed. And I'm really stirred by this verse. This verse comes out of the story of the wedding feast in Canaan when the servants ran out of wine. Remember that story? Jesus' mother talked to the servants who were overseeing the wine, and this is what she said. She pointed at Jesus, and she said, in John 2, verse 5, do whatever he tells you. And I think about that. I meditate on that verse I think there's power there. I think there's something prophetic happening there. Do whatever Jesus tells you. He's the king. And it's kind of cool because it also kind of makes Jesus's parables come alive a bit. There's all these parables, a handful of them, where Jesus is talking to the people and he's like, okay guys, I'm going to tell you a story, okay? So there was this king and he goes on to tell the story, right? Like the king had a wedding feast or the king did this with his servants. And the funny thing is, we get to see the playful side of Jesus a little bit here. He is the king. It's kind of the funny thing, but he's telling these parables. And I imagine, I just, I imagine the angels up in heaven with their popcorn, they're just like, they're like, do they get it? He's the king. And he's telling these parables. I think it's kind of cool. We see Jesus' playful side a little bit. Do whatever he tells you. And I just want to say, obedience isn't always easy. Obedience costs and it's hard. And sometimes, the way we would say it is, this sucks. Obedience is hard. But at the same time, as we're growing in the Lord, as, we're, as he's maturing us, isn't it true that obedience is good? Do you have those moments where you say, obedience is good? Do you have those moments where you can think back on your old life? You can think back on where you used to be, and you can say, I like obedience. I need obedience. I think this is a, a picture of obedience. And it's not a perfect one, but I think it's a picture I imagine a man and a woman dancing together, arm in arm. I don't know how that all works, but I think the woman kind of holds up on the shoulder and they're holding hands. You can't really guide someone too well that way. And I think the man holds kind of her on the side so he can guide her more like this. And I think of that picture. I imagine like the, the woman kind of in a place of rebellion saying, saying, no, I'm a better dancer. I know what steps to take. Like Maybe I'll, he wants to go that way, but I'll pull us this way. And then I imagine at one point she says, okay, okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll give it a try. I'll submit because we're pulling against each other. And she starts to go where he leads him. And then she starts to say, oh, this is smooth. This is fluid. I'm the one obeying, but we're working together. And actually together, we're creating something more beautiful than we could, we could by ourselves. I like obedience. And something can stir up in her and say, I like obedience, I think that's obedience. It's the horse that is being ridden by the rider. And they both have a different job. The rider knows where to go, but the horse has the power, right? And and as they're going over barrels or they're turning sharp turns, the horse is saying yes, and it's obeying. And and as it's going together, they're they're doing something better together than they can apart. But it's, I like obedience. I like what this is producing. And I'm just being honest for myself because I'm so weak, so weak and I need Jesus so much, and I know this is true of all of us, I like obedience. And you know what? I need obedience. I need it. Do you guys need obedience too? It's good. It's good that Jesus is is leading us. And the reality though is that I have a flesh. I have an ugly flesh. I'm probably the only one in the room, but I've got an ugly flesh. It's ugly. It's stinky. And the reality of the sovereignty of God The revelation of that, it's the most inconvenient thing for my flesh because God is the lover of my soul, but he's the enemy of my flesh. So he asks me to crucify my flesh. He doesn't just pat me on the back as I I go forward in my good works and in my sin. He's the enemy of my flesh. So he asks me, he invites me to crucify my flesh. And this is something that we can do. This is something that we're all doing as believers because I know, I think about how Abba loves me and he does. His love for me is an ocean, but my flesh isn't invited to swim in that ocean. Isn't that true? I gotta crucify it. And I wanna ask, do we know as a church, do we know that the king is in the house? The sovereign king, he's in the house. And that's good news. And I I love that our leaders, I love that we've got leaders in our church here that are leading us, that Jesus is functional Lord. And that's one of our church values, that Jesus is functional Lord over our church. And I felt led to ask this question, how about how we treat our leaders? Like, I mean, our leaders in the church, but also at our work, I mean our parents. Because as I was thinking about the sovereignty of God, I was thinking, every leader I have in my life, he's put there. He is sovereignly put there. And the awesome thing is, as I submit to my leaders, as I submit to my leaders, I'm doing that out of reverence for Christ, as the word says, out of obedience for Christ. And I love that. Our mission as a church is to Come alive to God and then to be life-giving to others. And I don't know about you, but I've been asking myself a lot in the last year, how am I doing at being life-giving to my leaders? How am I doing at that? And maybe there's some of us here that need to calibrate our attitude a little bit on that. Maybe when it comes to our job or our parents, I don't know. But man, it's been good for me to ask that question. Am I being life-giving to my leaders? Because I really want to be. I really want to be. We'll go to the next point, 2 Timothy 2, verse 9. Because this talks about that the sovereignty of God changes how I reach the lost and it changes how we do evangelism. It says this, Paul said, I'm suffering, I'm bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. And it would take a long conversation to unpack all what that means and to talk about it, but it's a beautiful verse because the word of God is not bound. Do you know what that means? The good news there is that means that I might... I have a desire to want to share Christ with others, a desire to want to reach out to the world around me, but maybe I feel like I can't. Maybe the burden on me is I feel like I can't. I can't do it or I'm too afraid. But the word of God has its own power. It has its own authority that wants to go out. The word of God, this means that the word of God, because it can't be bound, it actually wants to burst out of my life more than I want it to spread out of my life. So I can start to lift that burden. I can rest in the sovereignty of God. That as I want to reach those around me, he has a desire to reach those around me. He's got a greater plan that he's taking creation through. And he's, his word is going to sovereignly accomplish its own power. Whew, let's just rest in that as we try to reach the world. And as God calls us to reach the world, and we, we yearn for those around us that are lost in darkness, right? And let's end with this. God, uh, the sovereignty of God changes how we endure trials. It's been so huge for my life the sovereignty of God in the last 10 years. I think of the things my family and I have been through. And I think actually back to the first time I heard somebody talk about how they were testifying that they had gone through brutal trials. And they said before the trials were even over, before they were done, I started to change on the inside. As I walked with God, I started to change. And they said, I actually didn't even want my trials to end anymore like I used to because I had God in the midst of it. A God who's both loving, but also a God who's in charge. And that's that's good news for us. Remember we said in Job that God was in charge over his trials that he faced, and he's in charge over ours too. That's the sovereignty of God. Thank you, Lord. God allows trials for specific reasons. Here's just a few of them. First, because he's obsessed with filling us with the abundant life in Christ. Full life in Christ. But Christ lived a cross-shaped life. And that cross, it represents the suffering he went through. And the Bible promises, we will suffer too. We will have trials. The Bible promises that, actually. But he's sovereign. And I need this revelation of the sovereignty of God. He allows trials also because he's determined to make us like Jesus by refining us. And I love this next point. He allows trials... Also because he's got a view for eternity. God sees eternity. He sees, he knows that this life is a dot. But the next life is a never-ending line that goes on and on forever. God knows that. So he allows trials because he's preparing us for eternity. He's good. He's awesome. And lastly, God knows that in our trials, as his love meets with us, when we walk with him, his love meets me and flows through me, then he knows that we end up showing a suffering love to the world that is the clearest, it's such a beautiful picture, the clearest, most beautiful picture to the world that's lost of who God is. The same picture that Jesus showed. So can we, this week, can we ask these questions on these topics Mm -hmm that I feel the Lord was highlighting. First of all, obedience. Can we ask this question? Do I view his instructions for my life as essential or do I view them as optional? It's a powerful question, guys. Can we ask that question? And when it comes to reaching the lost, as you're doing that, as we're doing that, can we do that out of a place of knowing that the word of God has power and it wants to burst out of my life? And thirdly, when it comes to enduring trials? Can we tell the story of our past, the story of our things we've gone through, the good and the bad? Can we tell the story under the shadow of the sovereignty of God, like we've talked about this morning? Well, let's pray. Let's close in prayer. If you're here and you would just say that what you're going through in your life feels out of your control, feels bigger than you, and if you would say, today, I just need to rest in the sovereignty of God. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.